You are listening to Episode 4 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Previously on Quarter Share. They were huge, 20-liter urns bolted to a counter with their own plumbing built in. There were three of them in a row, along with a tap for boiling water for tea. It was like some kind of shrine, resplendent in copper and stainless steel, prominently mounted near the center of the mess deck. I tracked slowly around, realizing that there were ports facing aft as well, and there, stretching out into the star-spackled deep dark, was the rest of the Lois McKendrick. We're underway, Mr. Wong, Cookie said with a smile. Rather uninspiring, isn't it? Chapter 5. Nearest System. 2351, September 15. Eight days out of Nearest, I was beginning to get into the rhythm of life underway. My few days aboard at the orbital really didn't prepare me for life with a full crew. The coffee urns were like an albatross. Every other stand I was brewing more coffee. At first, the early morning risings and long days of work seemed endless. Where Pip and I had time to dawdle about in port, once the full crew was back, the meals became more elaborate, serving lines got much longer, and cleanup took exponentially longer. It wasn't really that bad, but it seemed it to me. Eventually, though, I got into the swing of it. I learned to grind a bucket of the Arabasti in the morning and measure it into airtights. That gave me three full urns each morning and seven spares in the chiller. Most days I had to grind a second bucket in the afternoon. While it wasn't exactly up to the standard my mother would have insisted on, it was considerably better than that first cup of bitter sludge that Cookie had given me to sample. Just cleaning the urns made a big difference, and I made it a point to clean one of the three every morning. It didn't take long to swish it down with vinegar and hot water, and it kept the level indicator tubes clear as well, so I didn't have to disassemble them again. I also learned how to minimize cleanup time by keeping the steam tables at the right temperature, and even how to line serving trays with peel-away whenever we serve something sticky. That way they could go right into the upright sand unit without having to be scrubbed laboriously by hand. Pip and I alternated sweeping and mopping chores, and worked together to clear the mess deck after each meal, until we had it down to a science. He showed me how to use the protective gloves first sprinkling a bit of talc in each and leaving an inch or so of the cup folded back to keep water from running up my sleeve. They were insulated, too, so I didn't scald my fingers on the steaming hot water we used for clean-up and dishwashing. I counted that as a good thing. Even the pacing of the day became second nature as Cookie Pip and I began to mesh into a team. I found I knew what time it was just by what the others were doing. Slowly, I found myself acclimating to the schedule, discovered that I could actually stay awake after work for as much as two or three stands without nodding off. Of course, that brought other problems. There didn't seem to be anywhere to go except my bunk, the galley, or the mess deck. It also meant I needed to find things to occupy my mind, or I began wondering how soon we'd be getting where we're going. With only a third of the passage to the jump point behind us, I knew that dwelling on Are We There Yet would lead me to no good end. Given that I'd signed on for two years of travel, I knew that I wouldn't be getting anywhere soon, and that I really needed to find some way to enjoy the ride. It was in that mindset that Cookie found me cleaning up after dinner. He surprised me by showing up, because he usually spent his evening playing cards with the other senior crew. "'Mr. Wong,' he started, 
Ishmael, you seem to be taking to this very well. I smiled at him. Tell you the truth, Cookie, I'm not sure how well I'm really doing, but I'm trying hard. It wasn't like I had a lot of options coming in, he nodded. Yes, Captain Chagon spoke with me. You seem to be adapting well to your recent loss, he said gently. It caught me out of the blue, and I turned back to the pot I was scrubbing to give myself a tick to get control. Thanks, I said. It's, uh, been... I had to think back. Over a month now. I spent almost three weeks on Neris trying to figure out what to do. He patted me on the back. You've done well and landed on your feet after an amazing blow. I'm sure she'd be proud of you. I nodded my thanks, not trusting myself to speak. He picked up one of the clean pots from the drainer and expertly clipped it into its storage. We worked silently for a time. "'What will you do now?' he asked lightly. "'Now? I just got here,' I protested. The phrase, back end of nowhere, came back to me from our earlier conversations. "'You're not already planning to put me ashore in Darbat, are you?' He smiled warmly and broke in quickly. "'No, young Ishmael, you misunderstand me.' Um, I commented. It wasn't much, but it was about as cogent as I could get at the time. You're too good to stay quarter share, Ismail, Cookie said directly. I want you to think about going half share as soon as you can. And stay on the ship, I said. Well, Cookie admitted, you'd probably have to change ships unless a half share berth opens up. The ship's not rated to carry a food handler at the moment, but you could switch to another division, I'm certain. I wanted you to start thinking about these kinds of possibilities. "'Wait a minute,' I protested. "'I've been on this ship, what, ten days?' he nodded. "'Pip is in his second stanier,' I exclaimed. "'I thought you said that was good.' "'For Mr. Carstairs, it is good. "'For you, it would be tragic,' he commented quietly. "'I stared at him. Cookie continued. "'You have done more in your ten days than Pip has done in the seven months he's been aboard. "'I gave him the same test I gave you. He failed.' "'You didn't give me a test,' I started, but then I remembered. "'The coffee?' he nodded. "'It was truly dreadful.' "'But that's not fair,' I objected. "'My mother was a coffee snob. "'She made me learn about that stuff. "'How was Pip supposed to know?' "'You continue to misunderstand me, Ishmael,' Cookie answered. "'It wasn't that you knew the coffee was bad "'or even that you knew how to fix it. "'That, I confess, was a happy serendipity. "'Then what?' "'You took it on.' You took the responsibility to do good work as your own. You systematically addressed the problems as you faced them. When you knew the solution to a problem, you fixed it, and when you didn't, you sought help. You've made the ship as a whole a better place for your being in it. I was pretty sure I was blushing at this point. But I don't know anything, I protested. I'm just trying to get by. Pip knows how everything works. Cookie nodded. And he proceeds on the basis that it must work that way regardless of what his not inconsiderable native intelligence tells him. He turned to me and asked, Did he know the coffee was bad when you told me you could make it better? I nodded reluctantly. And his advice to you was to keep your head down and your mouth shut, was it not? Again I nodded. But I started to protest. Cookie smiled and held his hand up to stop me. But me no buts, Ishmael, he said. Yes, you have knowledge he did not. He has knowledge you do not. The difference is you use yours to help us all. That is what I look for in a shipmate. Well, he's helped me so much. This seems so unfair. The conversation had me very troubled. Good, said Cookie quietly. Then perhaps you can help him as well. Be a good influence on him. I thought about that as I rinsed a pot. 
I don't know that I can, I said, but I'll try. Good. Now what specialty do you think you'd like to pursue? Specialty? Ishmael, you could be an excellent cook, but your talents would be wasted. You need to be thinking of what shipboard specialty you would like to pursue. Engineering, perhaps the environmental section. Maybe you'd like to become a deck officer or a cargo specialist. Wait, Cookie, you're going too fast for me. I waved a soapy hand in the air to stop him. Why would I want to be one of those things? Can't I be a cook? Cookie smiled. How you spend your time, you must decide. Cooking, I love it. It's my life. My pleasure is in creating the best meals and making life here that much more pleasant for the crew. You would make an excellent cook, Ishmael, but I suspect you would find that it loses its challenge rapidly. I knew he was right, but I didn't know that I'd be any more challenged by any of the other shipboard duties. Look in your handbook, young Ishmael, he urged me. See what the various career paths are. Think about the possibility that you are on the path you're supposed to be on, and it's time to consider picking a branch before another one is thrust upon you. With that, he sailed out of the galley as quietly as he'd entered. He startled me by poking his head back through the door. And we're out of coffee out here. Please brew another urn before you go. With a playful grin and a wink, he left. Chapter 6, Nerys System, 2351, September 16 Pip was the nearest I'd had to a real friend since Angela Markova. It was strange. I'd only known him a couple of weeks. Granted, they were long weeks, and we'd been working together almost non-stop every single day of them. In a lot of ways, it, it really felt weird that he'd taken me under his wing. But he also seemed, I don't know, adrift might be a good word. After Cookie's odd visit, I had a hard time looking at Pip the same way. Of course, I had a hard time looking at Cookie the same way, too, but... But if Cookie were taking the place of a wise uncle, I shied away from the notion of father, since I wasn't terribly sure what that might be, then Pip was the rascally younger brother, and Uncle Cookie had just made him my problem. Nine days out of Neris was Pip's night duty, and I stayed around to help him and to talk. Nine days out of Neris was Pip's duty night, but I stayed around to help him and to talk. The galley was about the only place we had anything approaching privacy on the ship, and even that was imperfect, with people dropping in at odd hours to grab a cookie or make a sandwich or ask me to make another pot of coffee. Cookie's visit on the previous night had weighed on me all day, and Pip must have picked up on it, because as soon as Cookie left for his card game, Pip started in. Okay, Ish, what gives? I knew better than to try to play dumb, but I wasn't ready to confront this particular problem head-on. The walls are already starting to close in, Pip, I confessed. There's no privacy. We work, sleep, work, sleep, work, sleep. It just doesn't seem to end, and there isn't anything besides work and sleep. Every time I turn around, somebody is looking for more coffee. Pip grinned his irascible grin. I warned you about that, he said. You're the coffee god now, but it comes with a terrible price. I knew he was teasing, sort of. Yeah, I know, but you're in your second stand here. I'm barely in my second week. How do you cope? Ishmael, he began, it's all about enjoying the ride. In this business you never get there, wherever there is, so you better enjoy the trip. As an allegory for life, I kind of like it. I looked at him, perhaps a bit strangely. This was so unlike Pip, I wondered who he was channeling. He looked a bit embarrassed then and admitted, I got that from the second mate over on the Duchamp, just before she threatened to put me ashore on Argonne. I laughed, so you were a troublemaker. Pip just sighed, Let's say... 
I got off on the wrong foot with that crew. The Duchamp had put onto Argonne, and the Lois came in right behind us. By that time I had a miserable reputation on the Duchamp, and I was really afraid they were going to strand me there on Argonne. The berth here was held by a woman who wanted to get into environmental, but the Lois didn't have any openings. Alvarez, she was the second mate over on Duchamp, talked to Mr. Maxwell, and I gladly traded my slot on environmental there for the mess-deck slot here. Wow, I exclaimed, luck was in your pocket that day, huh? He chuckled. So it would seem. I never did find out why Mr. Maxwell was willing to take the trade. But that enjoy-the-ride speech was the last thing Alvarez told me before she kicked me out the lock. It must have worked, because it stuck with me. I fit in better here, certainly. It feels more like I belong here, but I think part of it is that I've taken a different approach, enjoying the ride, as it were. I nodded, and we worked on the pants in companionable silence for a time. Cookie was here last night, I confessed. That's odd, Pip said. What do you want? Oh, odd isn't the half of it. He wanted me to think about what specialty I wanted to pursue. Pip snickered. Gods and small piscatorials, you haven't been with us a month yet, and he's already planning your future? I shrugged and handed him a pot to dry. More like, I'm going to get bored as a cook, and I need to be working on my next step now, so I'll be ready when the opportunity comes. Pip nodded. He's always after me to pursue something, too. So? I prompted him. So what? He looked at me blankly. What are you pursuing? He looked a little sheepish. Promise you won't laugh. I crossed my heart, leaving wet soapy smears on my ship suit. Trade, he whispered. What's that mean? You're going for cargo master? Shh, 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 he said. Keep it down. No. I'm running some smaller cargoes of my own. You're what? He looked over his shoulder at the door before continuing. I'm picking up goods in one port and selling them in the next. Private cargo. Everybody's allowed to do it. Look it up. It's in the handbook. Section 14. So long as you stay within your mass quota and don't break any Confederation regulations, you can bring almost anything you want aboard. That extends to trade goods. I looked at him, dumbfounded. It's true, he insisted. Look it up. Well, I believe you, I said, but it just never occurred to me. He grinned. Almost everybody on the ship does it to some degree. I'm just a little more serious about it, he confided. Well, then what's the big secret, I asked. He looked at me exasperated. What do you think got me off on the wrong foot on the Duchamp? I shrugged. I thought it was the scrubber incident. He shook his head. No, that was just a setup. When they found out I was really serious about private trading, they started making fun of me about it. Too green to know about pull-out, but I think I'm going to make a killing in private trading with a quarter share's mass allotment. It didn't take long to become a laughing stock, he said bitterly, stowing the pan with a snap. The more I tried to explain, the worse it got. I stacked the last pot in the drying rack and rinsed out the deep sink. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Pip looked miserable. It made it hard to work. I couldn't concentrate because somebody was always ragging on me about what I had for trade goods and laughing at the things I could bring aboard. He sighed. It sounds so minor now, but it was miserable to live through. So you're still working on it, but you're keeping it quiet here, I concluded for him. He nodded. We finished the cleanup, and I made another urn of coffee. So? I asked finally. So? he echoed. So how's it working out? I asked. He grinned wolfishly. Well, I've only made a few hundred creds, but I haven't lost any yet. Did you pick something up in Neris? I asked. He looked at me like I were much stupider than I usually felt. What do you think? Come on, I laughed. Tell me. He lowered his voice and said, Grand Apple Brandy. What? I asked, trying not to laugh. I was casting around for how to tell him that Grand Apple Brandy was hardly a luxury trade good. 
thirty stanier old, aged in the cask, Grisham's. I have four one-liter bottles, he confided. I stopped laughing so fast I practically choked. But that's a hundred creds a bottle! He nodded. I just stared at him. Then I made a connection. That's why you weren't on liberty, I exclaimed. He nodded again. It took all my creds to buy them, but I made one trip down when we first made port and picked them up for my Aunt Annie. She found them for me and held them until I could pick them up. Aunt Annie? I asked. Annie O'Rourke, he answered. She's the union hall manager. You met her, didn't you? Small galaxy, I commented. Pip nodded again. Wait, how did you get them under your mass limit, I asked. You must have almost nothing on board. He laughed. Probably more than you. Four liters is only a bit over four kilos. Even allowing for the glass bottles and presentation cases was under eight. How much mass did you bring up? He was right. Less than ten, I answered. He gave me a small shrug and a no-problem look, and realized that I could have done the same thing except I didn't have four hundred creds to spare. "'Will it bring you in Darbad?' I asked, fascinated by the whole thing. He shrugged. "'I don't know for sure. It depends on the market there. Last one on planet sold for two hundred creds. A lot could have changed between now and then, but I've got a restaurant connection. He'll give me a hundred and a quarter apiece. That's my fallback.' "'Nice margin,' I commented. Pip nodded and smiled. I doubled my money going into Nera's. "'Wow, what'd you carry?' "'Computer memory chips,' he said. I was surprised. "'Is there much market for memory chips?' "'Well, you wouldn't think so, would you?' he said. "'But I was able to buy a case lot back on Gugara for almost nothing. Nera's company controls all the cargo coming into the stores there and applies a hefty tariff. It means company people pay much higher prices than anywhere else and assures that it's very difficult to stop being a company employee.' It's hard to save enough to even get a ticket off planet on company wages. I noticed, I replied dryly. It also means that a case lot of memory chips without the tariff can be turned around with a pretty good margin. It's lightweight, high demand, and practically liquid. How do you know this stuff? I asked. I'm from a trader family, he confessed. What do you expect? It's in my blood. Pip was full of surprises tonight. Trader family? What's a trader family? I asked. Well, Aunt Annie has been a trader for going on forty stanniers. She's taken a little downtime at the Union Hall, but I suspect she'll be back in the ship within a few months. My father owns two ships now, but I grew up analyzing trade and traffic patterns on a galley table in his first ship. At this point I was gaping, I know. You grew up on a ship, I asked, trying to picture kids on the Lois. How did you get aboard? He smacked me playfully. Not all ships are like this one, you great buffoon. Dad and Mom were the owner-operators of a small hauler over in the Sargass sector. Just a few hundred tons. They ran like cargoes out to the hydrogen miners and asteroid prospectors. We kept up the trade data from the surrounding sectors because sometimes it was actually cheaper to make a jump over to Deeb to pick something up the clients wanted than it was to go all the way in system to trade on Sargass orbital. Depending on the orbits, it could be as much as three weeks into Sargass, but only four days out to the jump. Deeb maintained an orbital that was usually only eight days in. We could get to Deeb, do the trade, and be almost back all the way before we could make it even into Sargass Orbital. So what are you doing here, I asked. Why aren't you still working with your father? Pip didn't answer right away. He casts a big shadow, he said finally. I wanted to get out from under it. Aunt Annie, she's my mother's sister. Help me get onto the Duchamp. But if you grew up on ships, how could they have fooled you into getting into the scrubber? Pip looked embarrassed. They didn't, he said simply. What? 
I was playing the part of a wide-eyed innocent. I didn't want them to know I was an indie brat, so I pretended I'd never been on a ship before. The scrubber thing got out of hand, but I couldn't get out of it without letting on that I was playing with them, he said miserably. Oh, what tangled webs we weave, I quoted. Something like that, he said. I asked, so being an indie brat isn't a good thing? Not to professional spacers, he said. There's a bias there, and it can get pretty ugly. So don't mention it, okay? Well, you're a professional spacer now, I pointed out. Right. Still on quarter share after more than a full stanier. Some professional, he said bitterly. Well, if you picked a specialty, your mass allotment would go up. Yeah, but what specialty? I don't like the environmental. I just don't have the chops for engineering. I'm an analyst, not an engineer. I tried the cargo exam, but I just can't seem to pass it. Well, why not cook, I said. You seem to do well with inventory and accounting. True, he said, considering it. Cookie could help you, I think, he said. He does like you, and the two of you seem to work well in the galley. Well, that's true, too, he admitted, but I don't know much about cooking. I, I didn't even know how to make decent coffee, he said, grinning ruefully at me. Bah! Just look at it like a trade problem. Recipes are easy to come by, and cooking is just imagination and technique. you got plenty of imagination, and the technique will come if you practice. Running the mess is more a problem of getting the best food for the budget. And that's what trading is, isn't it? Something clicked for him. I could see it in his eyes. I could practically hear the gears turning. You know, he said, that might work. He smiled at me and said, You know, for a greenie, you're a pretty clever guy. I smiled at him, just trying to help where I can. You've been helping me all along, and it's the least I can do to repay the favor. Wow, this may be the answer I needed, Ish, so thanks a lot. He paused for a moment. Dangles knees. I need to unwind a bit. Maybe get in a little workout and then have a nice sauna before sack time. Let's head down to the gym, he suggested. A gym? There's a gym? I didn't know whether to hug him or hit him. Are you telling me that this ship has a gym? Thanks for listening to Episode 4 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is from The Lucky Black Cat, a hornpipe in A minor, recorded by James Curran, available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.com golden.